What is the worst case evangelism scenario that you can think of? Someone slamming the door in your face as you just go and try to proclaim the gospel message to them? Someone screaming you off of their porch, causing a huge scene for everyone in the neighborhood to see? Or is it something like a dog bursting through the front door, chasing you across the front yard and all the way across the street? What is a worst-case evangelism scenario that maybe gives you some reserve in going and doing this work? Well, leading up to our verses for today, Paul experienced what many of us would consider a worst-case evangelism scenario. In Thessalonica, Paul, Silas, and Timothy were doing the work that they were called to do. They went to the synagogue and were proclaiming the gospel message. And once they they did that at the synagogue, they then went to the Gentile people that were there in Thessalonica. And right away, they were having great success. That there were any number of people who were coming to faith because of their proclamation of the gospel. But you see, there was a, a group of Jews in the synagogue who were envious and jealous of the success that Paul and the other apostles were having. And so they devised a plan. They decided to to stir up the city, form a mob that sought after Paul, Silas, and Timothy to drag them before the authorities so they could be put to death for treason. Paul, Silas, and Timothy were able to escape at night, and they traveled far away to the city of Berea. And in the city of Berea, when they were once again in safety, well, they continued the work that they were called to do. In the town of Berea, they they went to the synagogue, once again proclaimed uh, to the the Jewish audience there that Christ was the promised Messiah. And they they then went to the Gentile audience and, and proclaimed that Christ crucified to them as well. But you see that same group of Jews that that persecuted them all the way in Thessalonica heard about what they were now doing in Berea. And so they traveled there. And once again, this, this group of Jews stirred up the crowd against Paul, Silas, and Timothy. I mean, this was a worst case evangelism scenario. That this group was doing anything in their power to keep Paul, Silas, and Timothy from proclaiming the gospel message to people who so desperately needed to hear it. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy devised their own plan. Instead of simply going to the next town over as they had done from Thessalonica to Berea, which would run the risk of having this group of Jews continue to follow them from place to place, they decided to go much further away so they could start off with a clean slate. And so Paul went ahead of Silas and Timothy all the way to the great city of Athens, where Silas and Timothy would eventually be there to to join with him, where they would once again start their work of proclaiming the gospel message. And since Paul got there before Silas and Timothy, well, he had some time on his hands. And so Paul decided to take a tour of the city to get a feel for the culture. And as Paul was touring the great city of Athens, he would have seen some some amazing and spectacular things. 
He would have seen great feats of architecture that are still popular tourist destinations to this very day. He would have seen beautifully crafted sculptures and altars that were crafted by some of the greatest minds at that time. But as Paul traveled around the city and he saw all of these outwardly glorious things, Paul was greatly distressed because Paul realized that all these outwardly glorious things were all devoted to, to various false gods and deities. And so Paul, even though he had just gotten out of a, a situation where he was persecuted for proclaiming the gospel message, and even though Paul was currently all alone without Silas and Timothy there to, to back him up and help him in his work, he couldn't wait any longer. Paul saw that the Athenians were in desperate need to hear the gospel message. And so Paul got to work. Paul went to the synagogue, as he often did, and he was reasoning with the Jews there that, that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And once he reasoned for some time with the Jews in the synagogue, he then went to the, the Gentile nation there in Athens, and he was proclaiming in the marketplace the message that Christ had risen from the dead. And as Paul was proclaiming this message, well, he got the attention of some nearby philosophers. And in Athens, the people, and especially the philosophers, were always on the lookout for the newest idea or philosophy to talk about and discuss with others. And what Paul was proclaiming was unlike anything they had ever heard. And because this message was unlike anything they had ever heard, well, they figured that this was a message that the Areopagus, the supreme council in Athens, the, the representative group of the people, needed to hear. And so that's exactly who they took Paul to. And this was a golden opportunity for Paul to proclaim the gospel message. And in our verses for today, we're going to look at Paul's sermon to the Areopagus, where he reveals to them who the one true God is and how the one true God desires for us, his believers, to obey him. Paul stood up in front of the council of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that you are very religious in every way, for I was walking around and carefully observing your objects of worship. I even found an altar on which had been inscribed, to an unknown God. And Paul begins by making note of how religious the Athenians were. I mean, they had a God for any and every occasion. But there was one object of worship that especially caught Paul's attention. It was the one that had the inscription to the unknown God. And it's with this altar to the unknown God that Paul was going to make the one true God known to the Athenians. Now what you worship as unknown, this is what I am going to proclaim to you. Now typically Paul had a Jewish audience, and so his normal procedure would be to, to take his audience to the scriptures and show them how all of the prophecies, promises, sacrifices, how everything pointed to Christ as the promised Messiah. 
but now with a pagan audience. Well, this wasn't going to be effective. It wasn't going to work. So instead of appealing to the scriptures, Paul here in our verses for today appeals to the natural knowledge of God. The knowledge which each and every person has that gives testimony and evidence to the fact that there is a God. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made with hands. Neither is he served by human hands as if he needed anything, since he himself gives all people life, breath, and everything they have. And Paul begins by appealing to that natural knowledge of God and revealing that the one true God is the omnipotent creator of all things. And Paul specifically mentions that there is only one God, not various false gods and deities which the Athenians believed. And Paul uses a logical argument with his highly educated audience to point out how foolish their concept of worship was. And really, Paul's argument boiled down to this. Do you really think the God who has created everything in the universe is confined to to one small space which you yourselves have created with your own hands, building a temple on? Certainly not. And do you really think the God who has created everything, including you, and is the one who gives you everything, including the life that you currently have, do you really think he needs anything from you? No. God is the one who gives you life not the other way around. And Paul then advances his argument by showing how all of history has really served to accomplish God's supreme purpose. And from one man, he made every nation of mankind to live over the entire face of the earth. He determined the appointed times and the boundaries where they would live. He did this so they would seek God and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Each and every nation can trace its lineage all the way back to Adam, who is the first man. And underneath all of the migrations of man that have taken place in history, and underneath all of the empires rising and falling throughout the years, has been God's hand guiding all things to go according to his will. And all of this to serve his supreme purpose which is for man to seek him, who is the one true God. And this was the case for the Athenians themselves, who sought after God as evidenced with their altar to the unknown God. But there was another reason why the Athenians should have been cognizant of the one true God. Because as Paul mentions, for in him we live and move and have our being. Without God, we couldn't live for a moment since he's the one who gives us everything we need to live. And this truth was really nothing new to the Athenians because even their own poets have said, indeed, we are also his offspring. The Greek poets declared that mankind came from a god like Zeus. And even though they had the wrong god in mind, they had an inkling of the truth, that there was a creator god and that we are the creation. 
And it's with this inkling of the truth that Paul draws a simple yet effective conclusion. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by human skill and planning. And Paul really points out the obvious to the Athenians, that they as God's offspring should know better than to imagine that the divine being which God is could be represented by any man-made thing, no matter how expertly crafted it was. Therefore, all the false gods and idols which they had formed with their own hands should be thrown away and cast aside. And they should be cast aside not only because it was foolish to worship them, but also because, as Paul mentions, in the past God overlooked the time of ignorance, but he is now commanding all people everywhere to repent. Well, God in the past chose not to strike down all of the idolaters who worshipped false gods back then. Well, God has now revealed himself in Christ. And God is calling all people everywhere to repent. To turn from their man-made idols and gods. And to worship and praise the one true God. And to worship and praise him in the way he desires to be worshipped and praised. Not with sculpture, sculptures, idols, and great feats of architecture. No, he desires to be worshipped and praised with a change of heart. And the reason God was calling all people to repent is because he has set a day on which he is going to judge the world in righteousness by the man he appointed. And he provided proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The day is drawing near when everyone is going to have to account for, for how they use the gracious gift of life. But this truth doesn't need to strike anyone with fear. Because the one who is coming to judge all people is the one who God himself had raised from the dead. Really, what comfort God had given to the Athenians that although they had been steeped in the sin of idolatry, that the one who was going to come and judge them was the one who carried all of their sins of idolatry on himself when he went to the cross. That the one who had given up his own life so that spiritually dead sinners like them could have eternal life in heaven is the one who is going to judge them. And so they could be confident and certain of the forgiveness that they had received because Christ had proved of the forgiveness he won for them through his resurrection. For so long, these Athenians had been searching to find and, and discover the one true God. And they had gotten so close with all of their, their idols and false gods and deities. But in our verses for today, we see that Paul reveals the one true God to them. And he reveals to them that living as the offspring of the one true God means living a life of repentance. Turning away from the sins that, that plague our hearts. Turning away from the idolatrous practices that they were falling into. And then focusing on the one who was obedient to the point of death on a cross and who rose from the grave for their salvation. 
As we think about our verses for today, there's really two key takeaways for our own lives. And the first key takeaway is how we approach evangelism. And really we see a beautiful example of that with what we see Paul do in our verses for today. That even though he had just faced a worst case scenario when it came to evangelism, persecuted, chased by a mob who was seeking to put him to death, this didn't deter him from going to Athens alone without Silas and Timothy and boldly proclaiming the message of Christ crucified. And the reason Paul did this is because when he came to Athens, he didn't see them as enemies. He had compassion on them. And he saw them as ones who had been redeemed by the blood of Christ and who so desperately needed to hear of what Christ had done for them. That Paul's primary concern was their spiritual well-being and not his own physical well-being. We ask that God give us a heart like Paul when it comes to our own evangelism efforts. We ask that God lead us to set aside our our own fears. That he lead us to to put away all those worst case scenarios that, that we might imagine will happen to us. To set all those things aside. And to go and to share the gospel message. Because each and every person that we come into contact with is someone whom Christ gave his own life for. Shedding his blood for their forgiveness. And shedding his blood for our forgiveness. And as we go and do this work, we really get to share the peace, joy, and comfort that we have found in knowing what Christ has done for us. Leading others to see who God truly is and what he has done for them. And the second takeaway that we really see in our verses for today is how to think about our obedience to God. The Athenians thought that the God, or gods in their case, were were pleased with all of the altars, sculptures, and great feats of architecture that they had accomplished. But really this was all a delusion. That they were worshipping false gods instead of their obedience was actually angering the one true God. Let's not simply point the finger at the Athenians. Because we too can be tempted to think that our outward obedience can give us an excuse to not live the lives of repentance that God calls us to live. To think that as as long as we're doing the right thing, that as long as we're, we're coming to church, doing our devotions, giving to church, giving to charities, helping our neighbors, whatever it may be, that as long as we're, we're doing the right outward actions, that this is an excuse to not truly lead lives of repentance, thinking that our outward actions are what restore our relationship with God. But this is all a delusion. That the outward action isn't the primary concern of God. What God desires is for us to live lives of repentance. God is primarily concerned with our hearts. God desires for us to look into our hearts. To look and see the sins that are festering inside of them. And to turn away from these things. To turn away from them because they're leading us down a dangerous path. Leading us down a path that could break our relationship with him. And once we do this, God then desires for us to turn to him, to turn to Christ, 
and to find the comfort, peace, joy, and comfort in knowing that all of our sins have been forgiven and that He has restored our relationship with God. And with this in mind, God then desires for us to go and to serve and praise Him, not out of fear for punishment, but out of thanks for the full and free forgiveness which Christ has won for us. So go and live lives of repentance, looking ahead to the last day, knowing that you can be confident that when Christ does come again, that he will personally call you by name as someone who he is taking with him to heaven. Not because of how well you evangelized, not because of how many good works you've done, but because you know that he, the one who will judge you, is the one who gave his life for you on the cross and who rose from the dead, giving you the assurance that all of your sins have been forgiven. Amen.